Our second reading this morning is a passage um, which follows the story of those who witnessed Jesus's ascension into heaven. And so hear now this sacred story from the book of Acts. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Peter stood up among the believers and said, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, we ask your blessing upon all of our words and meditations of each of our hearts and minds, for we gather and we worship in your name. Amen. It was widely known as an old boys club. In fact, they prided themselves on catering to men. But by the late 18, excuse me, the late 1980s, early 90s, when the number of women enrolling in medical school began to run even with and eventually outnumber the men, this seemed to get the men's attention. And what really got their attention was the economics as female medical doctors were choosing to join their own professional medical associations rather than the historically and predominantly male society known as the American Medical Association. Membership dollars were declining, which were the backbone of their operating budget, and so the men realized they'd better do something differently. Consultants were hired, new marketing strategies were devised, organizational structures began to change slowly. And in a creative move to publicly show their support of female doctors, they partnered with Mattel to release the first ever Dr. Barbie. Well, personally, I was excited, thinking that maybe Barbie, whom millions of girls idolized, could become someone other than the stereotypical sex symbol, and would give young girls a professional role model. So out came Dr. Barbie, and here she is. The appropriate doctor's lab coat, stitched in pink, I might add, with a corresponding pink stethoscope. I don't know how many of your male doctors have pink stethoscopes, but they tried. And so excited to receive Dr. Barbie, I I took off her her medical coat, and there she had on her corresponding halter dress, 
because you know that's what most doctors wear under their lab coats. And of course, her corresponding five inch, at least maybe six inch stilettos. Because you know, that's how doctors make rounds, in halter dresses and stilettos. Yes, epic fail. Well, sadly, the story we heard from Axe this morning is an ancient story of an old boys network. The disciples, now referred to as the apostles, were defined as those who were sent out to proclaim the gospel. They found themselves one shy of a dozen because of Judas's betrayal and, sadly, his suicide. And as we hear it was written, the new member must be a man. But the other requirements for this appointment also included being a witness to Jesus's resurrection. Well, ironically, in all four gospel accounts, Jesus first appears to women. And of course, it was the women who remained at the foot of the cross until Jesus breathed his last. But here the men are, having heard of Jesus' resurrection first from the women, casting lots to decide which man was to join their cohort. Well, some will say that it was written this way because of the overriding cultural influence of only men being allowed to be in leadership positions. Others will say it was because the author of Acts, Luke, desired to present a picture of Christianity that would win favor in the Roman Empire. But this decision would lead to a further diminishment of women's roles. Women were second-class citizens in the Roman Empire, and public leadership roles were held only by men. Well, Luke shapes his treatment of women in Acts to conform to this Roman model. So much so that when the group that gathered in the upper room after witnessing the ascension of Christ only Mary, the mother of Jesus, is even named. The rest are referred to as certain women. Well, even these certain women were likely the same women who had accompanied Jesus from Galilee, provided financial support for the movement, witnessed the crucifixion and burial, prepared spices and ointments for the body, and returned to find the tomb empty and two angelic visitors announcing the resurrection. And these male disciples chose another man, even though they knew that Jesus himself crossed all sorts of cultural boundaries, including speaking to women he shouldn't have been speaking to per societal norms. Well, he not only speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, but she becomes at least an unofficial, unnamed disciple herself as her testimony about Jesus brings others to see him. That's the definition of discipleship. And Jesus stops the men who were about to cast stones at the adulterous woman. And Jesus visits the home of Martha and Mary, and on and on. And yet the men rolled the dice and added Matthias as their new apostle. But interestingly enough, post-resurrection and once Paul, not one of the original 12, enters the narrative, the mention of apostles, at least in reference to the 12, disappears and more attention is paid to the early founders of the church movement. And as contradictory as Paul's respect for women seems to be, it was clear from his letters that women were the leaders of many of the early churches. His letters often begin with dear brothers and sisters. In Romans 16, Paul references 27 individuals by name, a third of which are women including Phoebe, referred to as a deacon of the church.
And in Philippians, Paul reports that he found a Sabbath gathering composed exclusively of women. Perhaps this was the first official chapter of woman's society. But as one commentator offers, perhaps this Sabbath gathering suggests that as early as the first century, women believers sought ways to hear their own voices and stories in worship, freed from the dictates of male-dominated church. But sadly, once the church became the big church with a capital C church, women's various, excuse me, women's voices fade from the narrative again, particularly as recognized leaders in the church. So much so that of course women were and are still forbidden to be ordained in many other denominations. Well, even with the Protestant Reformation, it wasn't until 1853 that the first woman was ordained into ministry. And I am proud to say she was Antoinette Brown, a Congregationalist. She ultimately left the pastorate, but she embarked on the lecture circuit as an advocate for women's suffrage and the abolition of slavery. She participated in many organizations on behalf of women's rights and helped found the American Woman's Suffrage Association in 1869. She preached her last sermon at the age of 90. Well, she was quoted as saying, women are needed in the pulpit as imperatively and for the same reason that they are needed in the world, because they are women. Women have become or when the ingrained habit of unconscious limitation has been superseded, they will become indispensable to the religious evolution of the human race. Education has always been an important part of our congregational tradition. Congregationalists founded Harvard and Yale and Dartmouth, to name just a few. The first college for women, Mount Holyoke Female Seminary, was founded by Congregationalist Mary Lyon, in 1837. As the first of seven sisters, the female equivalent of the once all-male Ivy League, Mount Holyoke led the way in women's education. Well, Mary Lyon, a gifted teacher herself, became an authority on the education of women. Inspired by her own struggles to obtain an education, she worked hard to expand academic opportunities for young women to prepare them to become teachers, one of the few professions open to women at the time. She endured ridicule from those who felt her ambitious undertaking would be wasted on women. Nevertheless, she persisted, and her words of encouragement to women remain an inspiration to this day, for she said, go where no one else will go, do what no one else will do. Well, I am incredibly honored to be a member and ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, and this church in particular, with its rich and proud tradition of congregationalism. In addition to its history of supporting women as leaders in the church, the Congregationalists were among the first Americans to take a stand against slavery. Lemuel Haynes was the first African-American ordained by a Protestant denomination. Congregationalist Washington Gladden is one of the first leaders of the social gospel movement who denounced injustice and the exploitation of the poor and took literally the commandment of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. And in 1976, the General Synod elected Reverend Joseph H. Evans 
president of the United Church of Christ, he became the first African-American leader of a racially integrated mainline church in the United States. And in 2005, the United Church of Christ General Synod overwhelmingly passed a resolution supporting same-gender marriage equality. And while some of you are not particularly fond of our current UCC New Century hymnal, it is the only hymnal released by a Christian church that honors in equal measure both male and female images of God, for we are all created in God's image. While we celebrate the rise of women's voices in our religious and secular narrative, there are, of course, opportunities for more progress more truth yet to break forth from God's holy word. Hopefully, there will one day be a female president of the United Church of Christ. Hopefully, one day, there will be a female president of the United States of America. Having female role models both within the church and in society are so important for our children not just our daughters, but our sons as well. Our sons have sisters and mothers and peers that they too need to see as their equal, and role models matter. Because children need to see successful people that look like them, whatever that looks like, to believe that they can succeed too. Social learning theory posits that as children, we mimic what we see adults do. For example, if you're a girl in science, technology, engineering, or the math field, known as STEM, seeing female engineers, academics, scientists, and mathematicians in real life, or even in a film like Hidden Figures, which highlights overlooked women of color in STEM fields, it's a critical part of believing that you can do it too. We all have an amazing role model in Jesus. For Jesus has the audacity to break all of the social norms in the name of love, a love poured out for each and every one, regardless of gender or race or sexuality or economic status. And our girls, of course, have Jesus as well, but they need strong female role models that aren't always evident in scripture. But they're there. Whether they are named or not, whether they are anointed with a title of apostle or not, Lady Wisdom was with our loving God from the beginning of time. Sarah and Hagar, Naomi and Ruth, Esther and Deborah, Elizabeth, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, Lydia, and my personal favorite, Mary, the mother of Jesus. All blessed women who are important in our story of faith, in our story of who we can follow and emulate. All of these certain women are important and their voices need to be heard. And lucky us, we belong to a denomination that celebrates and honors and respects the gifts of women. A couple of years ago, Catherine and I received one of the best emails ever. It was from a mom who had discovered that her young daughter one Sunday afternoon was in her room playing church. And the doll taking the role of the pastor was one of her girl dolls. The mom wrote us, saying how grateful she was to belong to a church where her daughter could experience a female minister. And I know that I can speak for Catherine when I say that neither of us take your trust in us for granted. 
We are both deeply grateful to be part of a clergy team and a congregation that treats women equally and respectfully. And for that, we are deeply grateful. And by the way, that little girl's doll that she had dressed up like a pastor wasn't wearing a halter dress <laughs> or stilettos. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>